0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 25 of the Rattle Podcast. As always, my name is Jesse Friedman, along with Jeff Weiser, my co-host. Jeff, this is the long-awaited episode 25 of the Rattle Podcast. Uh, It was a bit of a... Slow winter, uh, to say the least. Not much happened with the Diamondbacks, or frankly, otherwise, unless you were the San Diego Padres, it sort of felt like. Um, but here we are back with a uh, with a new season here. We're seven games into spring training, um, and we are excited to be back with another baseball season. We're playing the full 162 games. Uh, Jeff, I don't know what normalcy will look like this year, uh, but the hope is that the 2021 MLB season is at least a little bit more normal, a little bit more follows the, the regular rhythm of the game than what we saw last year.
1: Yeah, thank goodness, right? I mean, uh, you know, just very selfishly, just very much missed like the ebb and flow of, of the baseball season. Uh, and it's been so nice to have it back, even in this very like, you know, small sample that we've had so far, but uh, just tremendous to to get back to what feels like, you know, something normal in our lives. And um yeah just very excited for baseball man I don't just like keep it simple right like I'm just ready to have fun and watch baseball games and watch dudes hit enormous homers and watch Madison Bumgarner basically just strike everybody out
0: yeah well speaking of Madison Bumgarner let's hop into some uh some news from spring training so far the Diamondbacks are three and four which means pretty much nothing um Uh, Madison Bumgarner, though, as you mentioned, struck out six out of seven in his first outing against the Angels. Um, and suffice it to say, he wasn't facing Mike Trout seven consecutive times. There were some other Angels hitters that he was facing that may or may not see a whole lot of time in the regular season. But nonetheless, it was a big moment for Mad Bum. He looked really good in two innings of work, uh, seemed to have some pretty positive things to say afterwards. The velocity was up in the 90-91 to range, uh, which was, of course, really good to see. Uh, Jeff, I I get so much deja vu with Zach Granke, you remember playing the velocity game with Zach Greinke? <laughs> yes. Every every year around this time is he? Is it '88? Is it '89? You know? Is it? Is it? You know? Is it '94? And and we're back in 2008 when Zach Greinke is you know a perennial Cy Young candidate, um, and now it feels like we're doing the same thing with Mad Bum. But suffice it to say, you know, he did everything he could in in start number one, and and hopefully, you know. That, that shows that that this offseason was a little bit more normal for him and hopefully it you know it stays that way we don't have any hiccups in the season and uh, he can get off to a better start this year
1: yeah I mean uh, the year is 2031 uh, Zach gallon takes the mound uh, and everyone's you know, Looking to see if he can hit eighty-seven on the radar gun. Uh, yeah, it feels like uh, feels like we've been playing this game for some time. Uh, oh but goodness! Yeah, I, you know, the first pitch came in at eighty-nine, and I was like, okay. And I was like, there's ninety. Okay, there's like okay, there's ninety-one. I'm like, all right, yeah, we can like we can work with that. Um, especially considering where we are in in his you know in his ramp up and his development to get him ready for the season starting to stretch out and if he's touching, you know, 9091, look like we can live with that. Uh but I'd also suggest that there's a chance that he you know, at times maybe turns that up to, you know, as the, as he stretches out and gets comfortable, like maybe he turns that up to 9293 on occasion. Um my guess is he's probably still going to sit 9091 a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, maybe 9091 slowly creeps to 9192 and there's a little more, a little more there where he needs it. The, the biggest thing and the most impressive thing was he looked healthy. He looked free. He looked easy. Um, he looked loose. He looked limber. He just, he had that feel. Uh, he was putting the fastball where he wanted it. He threw some sort of, uh, like front door cutters that were super nasty, yeah. Right where he wanted them. And then he was burying his curveball where he wanted it to. And it just looked like he had everything clicking. Um, you know, John Jay hasn't been a good hitter for a really long time. Juan Lagares hasn't been a good hitter ever. Brandon Marsh has never played above double A. Um, but at the same time, you could see the makings of, oh, that looks like that could be like pretty effective despite yeah. not, you know, rushing up there in the upper 90s. So, um, yeah, A-plus, A-plus outing for where we are right now.
0: Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was just good to see him look poised and confident. And, and you know, I, I don't think in some ways it felt like it didn't even matter who he was facing. It, the, the reality was Madison Bungarner struck out six out of seven hitters. And I think that's really all the Diamondbacks fans really, uh, really wanted to see. Uh, so a good sign there. Other news out of spring training, uh, Cole Calhoun uh, torn meniscus in his right knee. Uh, not ideal, but these things happen around this time of year. The outlook for him um, doing a little work on the interwebs and from what we've heard on the Diamondbacks, uh, he had some sort of a procedure to kind of get things cleaned up Um, roughly four to six weeks. It sounds like to uh, to get back into um, back into the groove of things. So uh, that could put him only, you know, a couple weeks out past opening day. I've heard some people say, you know, opening day for him isn't out of the question. I'm probably gonna basically put it out of the question. We know the Diamondbacks; they tend to, you know, play things pretty conservative um, when it when it comes to to those kinds of things, as as really all teams do. Uh, so I don't think we'll see Cole Calhoun on Opening Day, but the good news there is I think he could be back in relatively short order afterwards. Uh, Tim Lecastro also has tested positive for COVID-19, uh, which to that I will say, uh, get used to it. <laughs> to all of our listeners, these things are going to happen. Uh, throughout the season. We've seen it uh, in the NFL. We've seen it in the NBA where you just every once in a while have someone take a mystery, you know, a disabled list stint uh, because they get diagnosed with COVID and they have to they have to quarantine. This is sort of going to be part of the rhythm of the season. Um, but hopefully he is uh, he's doing well. From what I know, I believe he was asymptomatic. Um, so hopefully he makes a, a quick recovery, can be back with the team, uh, hopefully in plenty of time for opening day. Um. Other than that, Jeff, yeah, I mean the three and four seven games, you know, do with it what you will. Uh, I remember a, a year not too long ago, I want to say it was 2016, where the Diamondbacks went something like 23 and five in spring training, and uh, we were all hyped up about it. And and you know the season started, and and they had one of the uh, one of the most underwhelming seasons that they've ever had. So spring training results are sort of a crapshoot. You're more looking at players than you are at, at record or really anything else. Um, but yeah, is there anything else that is, that is stuck out to you so far in these, uh, in these first seven games that we've seen?
1: No, I think that's it. And I, I would, I would echo kind of your sentiment a bit of, uh, tempering expectations. This is a time where, um, our ambition or our excitement, uh, is, can easily get the best of us. Uh, we see what we, we see what we want to see in some ways. And so, uh, we've, we've been waiting for baseball for a really long time. So, uh, I'm just. I hate to be the pump, the brakes person, but I'll be the pump, the brakes person and just say, you know, there's a, there's a long ways to go. Um, and they don't, they don't hang banners for winning the cactus league. So, um, (laughs) I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of continue to watch, but keep that nuance and that context in mind of sort of who's facing whom and, um, you know, how that, how that works out, you know, is, is all well and good. Um, but it, I won't read too much into it. I do think Calhoun's injury is, is interesting in that, it does kind of open the door for uh, a bit of a shuffle, maybe to start the season, which yeah. uh, could be interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm with you. I don't know that they rush him back for for something like opening day. Um, this isn't a 60-game season. So uh, the idea of, you know, well, every game is so precious, we need him back immediately doesn't quite apply. They'll probably be better served to make sure that maybe he comes back during the second or third week of the season and is actually healthy. And this is also a time when he was really supposed to be getting his at-bats, really starting to fine-tune things. Um, I know he's taken plenty of cuts in his lifetime. It's not like he's going to forget how to swing. Uh, but he, you know, will miss a little bit of that, you know, ramp-up time. So I wouldn't be shocked if, if his return takes a little while and, um, you know, he misses a week or two to start the season. And that might, you know, provide some other opportunities for, for Torrey to sort of uh, mix up the the outfield rotation a bit.
0: Yeah, I think uh, the, the main name that comes to mind for me is Trace Thompson, uh, which I know he's has sort of an issue where he has no options, which makes him pretty tough to carry on on the major league roster and, and bring yeah. into the season. So he's sort of behind the eight ball there. Uh, but he's looked good, as I remember him looking good last spring training, too. He had a whole bunch of home runs and uh, it's been a good start for him so far. Uh, Beyond Trace Thompson, Cattell Marte is is raking so far in 10 at-bats or whatever it's been. Uh, I think he's 6 for 10 with three doubles, I want to say. Um, so, you know, for, again, for what it's worth, um, you know, this is obviously going to be a big year for Cattell, hopefully bouncing back from last season, looked good so far and very, very limited and and somewhat meaningless uh, numbers that we have so far. Um, but good so far from him, Josh Rojas has hit a few home runs, which is uh, maybe been encouraging there. Um, but yeah, I think you, I think you make a good point, you know, even if Cole Calhoun, is is uh, you know not not going to be gone for months. Hopefully, to start the season, you're probably going to have a a window of maybe a couple of weeks where you're going to need to reshuffle some things around. So you know whether that's Trace Thompson or uh, you know one of the other outfielders on the roster trying to make the roster. We'll we'll see how how things shake out there. Uh, another interesting storyline for me, Jeff. I want to get your take on this. Is uh, the the whole idea of how do you go as a starting pitcher? From throwing, you know, 65, 70 innings, whatever it was last year in the shortened season, to suddenly trying to ramp up as if, you know, as if that didn't happen and in preparing for the full 162. You know, you think especially about the younger arms, like, you know, like especially a Zach Gallon here in Arizona. You know, what kind of effect is is this going to have on them? And, and Tori Lavello was asked about that recently in a press conference, and he acknowledged. That, in fact, he probably will have some sort of an innings cap on Zach Gallon this year. Mm. And as much as, you know, you, our listeners, probably hear that and may not like it too much, um, and, I mean, I want to watch Zach Gallon pitch for, you know, 220 innings if I can, but... That, that's probably not going to happen this year in his best interest. You just don't want to take that sort of a risk with especially such a young arm, an arm that means so much to this Diamondbacks organization moving forward. That That's probably not a, a risk worth taking. So, you know, whether that number for Zach Gallen is 150 innings or 170 um, or, you know, maybe even less than 150, you know, maybe he gets capped off and, uh, you know, in August or something if, if the Diamondbacks aren't aren't doing too well. So it's a really interesting question, Jeff, you know, how Torrey Lovello sort of has his hands full here. You know, he has to try to piece together 162 games of starts knowing that pretty much every guy in this rotation probably doesn't have quite as much in the tank as they normally would.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because it's not a local problem. It's, it's a global problem uh, amongst sort of the MLB universe. Right. And I think some of the teams that will, maybe see less of the effect are those that did go deep into the playoffs. Um, teams like the Dodgers where, you know, Walker Bueller got several extra starts and extra innings in last season that maybe they feel a little more comfortable extending that. Whereas a team that, you know, I mean, let's, aside from Gallon, like even think of Bumgarner. I mean, not only was the season short, but he also missed like a good chunk of it. Yeah. Um, so, like, mm. what can you expect from that? I mean, uh, that's really going to be tricky. So, um, but yeah, to your to your question and to your point, I think they're really going to have to monitor this. I think it's something that virtually all teams will do. Uh, I think a guy like Gallen, you're just not going to take unnecessary risks if if you're up by six runs through the fifth inning. Um, that's why you pay relievers, and they need to do their jobs, and so you're going to take him out rather than trying to push him through the seventh. Um, If you, if you have the hope of increasing the number of starts he makes, Mm. Um, you know, and if we think about it, like this is a team that probably, you know, is on the outside of the the playoff picture looking in from the get go before any games are played and you know, things change. But uh, if they do want to like make a push later in the season, you'd like to have Zach gallon available. So, they'll sort of manage the roster with the, you know, or the pitching staff with the expectation that, Hey, like we need to be in a position where if we need you starting games in September, like you need to be available. Um, and so we need to manage your innings in such a way that you're going to be available to us in September. Uh, so I could see shorter outings. I could see more sort of multi inning relief efforts, um, to pick up from starters, Sure. I just think across the board they're going to have to really uh, dial it back, and that's going to apply to everybody. It's really going to benefit teams that have sort of a deeper um, collection of arms to either turn to in the fifth, sixth innings, you know, even the fourth innings at times um, that can get them through two or three more innings, you know, and or guys, uh, teams with guys that they can call up and um, can fill spots later in the season without, you know, hopefully missing too much of a beat.
0: Yeah, it's so it's strange because I remember, you know, about a year ago, uh, well, I guess not a year ago, I guess, was I guess this would have been maybe like nine or 10 months ago when the season when the actual season was about ready to get started. We were having the flip conversation. I, I remember an interview with with Archie Bradley in particular, uh, where he was talking about the idea of, you know, maybe picking up a few extra outings because the season was short, And, you know, you knew you didn't have to go the full 162. So maybe you kind of ramp things up and go a little bit harder in those 60 games. And maybe some of those uh, some of those back end relievers we had talked about back then, you know, maybe some of those guys take a few more of those of those late game outings uh, when in a normal season they would have needed a rest because they've pitched on back to back days or whatnot. So it's such a it's such an interesting just complete 180 from what happened last year to now we're talking about. Oh goodness, how how are we possibly gonna ramp this up to a full 162?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We've we've done that 180. <laughs> you know, it's such a weird, it's such a weird thing to wrap our heads around. It's it's gonna take some some getting used to, probably for the pitchers as well. Um I won't be surprised to see some awkward, you know, maybe not necessarily in Arizona, but just across baseball, some some sort of awkward moments of the manager coming to the mound and, and taking the ball <laughs> where the guy's looking up and going. I've only thrown 75 pitches like (laughs) we're taking the ball for, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just getting, getting warmed up. So yeah, that's, uh, you're totally right. We've done this, we've done this whole one hundred and eighty where it went from like, well, let's just just maximize innings from our very best pitchers. And now it's going to be, we need to like shelter and protect these arms. And, you know, I think, uh, the risk of injury for pitchers always looms large. I think probably never more so than now. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch. I think we're going to learn some lessons, you know, just as an aside, we, we may learn some lessons about, uh, pitcher management, workload management, um, you know, and how those things sort of, you know, continue to evolve. We continue to learn more about that, but this may be an opportunity for us to really learn a ton uh, about pitcher injury, just because we have such, you know, such an anomaly in terms of, uh, context for them. So definitely something to keep an eye on uh for sure
0: it sucks but it's smart right yeah right it's one of those things that you there's no no part of any baseball fan that really wants that but it's just sort of gonna have to happen this year we're gonna have to deal with it um suffice it to say the diamondbacks as far as their offseason is concerned things were a little bit slow to develop but they wound up making three moves for the major league roster at least as far as i've counted there were course, a plethora of moves, uh, you know minor league deals and, and whatnot as well. Uh, but the three moves they made for the major league roster are as follows. they brought in Drupal Cabrera, um, who originally you you might think oh as Drupal Cabrera, the, the great second baseman, the utility man second baseman um, but he really hasn't played a whole lot of second base lately which we'll get into uh, we'll get into a little bit later. Keem uh, Soria uh, formerly with the Oakland Athletics, Diamondbacks brought him in on a on a one-year deal uh soria is i want to say he's 36 years old I don't have the number mm-hmm. in front of me um he has been around for a long time but he's also been a really pretty darn good pitcher one of the more consistent relievers uh in the game over the last 10 or 15 years or so he's been around a long time uh tyler clippard uh is the last one i believe that's the most recent move that has happened uh, Clippard, of course, this isn't his first stint with the Diamondbacks. He was with the organization back in 2016. Uh, I want to say in a season that didn't work out so well for Arizona, wound up being traded uh, to the Yankees at the trade deadline. Uh, but Clippard is also sort of the uh, the model of consistency, and, and he actually his numbers in the last couple of years look even better uh, than than the numbers in, in years prior. So Clippard, another guy, uh, you know, in his 30s, but uh, somehow, some way has, has been one of the more consistent relievers in baseball over the last five or 10 years. So, uh, Jeff, there's nothing particularly uh, super exciting here uh they didn't break the bank these are all pretty low key deals single digit numbers uh but nonetheless you know a pretty typical of of Mike Hazen and uh, you know when I when I looked at the at the bullpen moves that they made Soria and and Clippard I actually like Soria and Clippard maybe a little bit more than than some of the uh the bullpen moves that Mike Hazen has made in, in past years uh, there's some some good veteran presidents here, and there's also quite a bit of consistency, uh, whereas it felt like with with guys from the past, Fernando Rodney, Brad Boxberger, um, some of those guys that, you know, had had great seasons, but they were a little bit more up and down than Sorian and Clippard.
1: Yeah, I don't know if the clubhouse. Clubhouse had too much of like a Gen Z or like late millennial vibe to it. And so they just decided to (laughs) only bring in guys that, you know, were born well before the advent of Facebook. Um, But yeah, it's uh, like, let's call it maturity, you know, or or something along those lines where I think you're, I think you're kind of hitting on something there, especially with with Soria and Clippard. Um, Two guys that you can really count on night after night to, not necessarily be you know lights out, but you you very much have a good feeling about what they're going to bring to the table. You know, uh, this isn't uh, this isn't you know uh, Fernando Rodney coming in you know with with the banana or whatever. Um,
0: we're not sure what <laughs> we're going
1: to get. Um, so I, I I do feel like I do feel like there's there's some maturity in the approach. Um, there's a, a real veteran presence and not in the joking way, but in the way of like, these guys know how to handle their business. Um, and we'll just bring, you know, a reasonable level of, of performance and expectations with them. So I do, I do like it. Um, it's not flashy. I mean, I will say that it's, it's really not flashy, um, but yeah. it may be effective. And so, you know, both guys kind of do rely a bit on the ball being put into play to get outs. I mean, we can remember from Tyler Clippard, he generates a ton of fly balls, Um, but you know, he generates the right kind of fly balls. He has a good change up and and he's able to get, get the kinds of fly balls that are easy out. So, um, and Soraya just has a a tremendous track record of, of, you know, just general success. Um, he's not ever really been Mariano Rivera, but he's also been a very effective guy for a really long time. So, Mm. um, I like it. I I like it. It's not, uh, it's not maybe the investment that I, I would have maybe penciled out myself. Uh, But considering how it all came together, there were things that needed to happen. There was so much depth available on the relief market. I still feel like they ended up in a fairly good spot. And as you and I have said, you know, in years past, if, if there's a place where they need to go ahead and make another move down the line, the bullpen is the place to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Looking at, at numbers for, for Clippard, I have him up here right now. he, actually has been quite good I, I don't know if if uh, you want to check some of the the back end uh deeper analytics numbers on your end Jeff uh, but clipper last season obviously small sample 26 games 26 innings uh but he had a 0.88 whip uh, era of 277 four walks 26 strikeouts those are pretty good numbers uh, especially for a guy who's you know in his mid-30s a uh, year prior uh, prior uh, to that he was with Minnesota last year's with Cleveland in 2019 uh, 201962 innings he only allowed 38 hits uh 15 walks pretty low number 64 strikeouts uh, not too bad there. Uh, and again, a whip underneath 0.90 at 0.85. So yeah. uh, I don't know if, if that's an aberration and it may be an unrealistic expectation to have for Tyler Clipper to uh, repeat those kinds of numbers. But it, it at least on the surface, Jeff, it, it feels pretty compelling to me.
1: Yeah, I think if we look at sort of where that's gone, and this is kind of funny because it's, it sort of has changed since he was last in Arizona. Yeah, um, he's really sort of made a shift from like 2016 to present uh, where he's gone away from using his four seamer and has started using a sinker far more often, like twice as much as he uses his four seamer now. And huh. it used to be he used his four seamer like five to one to the sinker and now it's flipped wow. and now he's like two to one on the sinker to the four seamer. So um, I, I think probably the the sinker and the changeup just play really, really well off each other. He's not throwing the slider you know, very much at all anymore. And that's probably fine. Um, He is who he is at this point, which is a guy who, who can strike guys out. um, But also will will rely a bit on the, uh, on the soft contact. And so uh, that, that profile of, of sinkers and changeups that look very similar out of his hand um, and have similar movement, but move at different speeds, you know, probably plays really well for him. So he's found a niche and it looks like he's leaning into it more than ever, which you know, uh, they say old dog can't learn new tricks, but Tyler Clipper may beg to differ.
0: Yeah, I'm curious if we if we kind of think more big picture here for a moment for what this bullpen will look like uh, on on one hand, it it's interesting. Uh, tor- uh, obviously, Mike Hazen has brought in, you know, some veteran guys in uh, in Soria and in Tyler Clippard. But beyond that. There's not a whole lot of staple arms for this uh, for this bullpen. You know, you're thinking about Yohan Lopez and Stefan Crichton. Uh, Taylor Clark feels you know like a pretty safe bet uh, to to make the team. Chris Davinsky, uh, who came over in a minor league deal, uh, we feel fairly confident about him making the roster. Uh, we got a question from uh, from Jordan on Twitter. Uh, he was curious back end of the bullpen up one run heading into. Uh, you know, the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. Who is on the bump for the D-backs? Uh, Jeff, I'll throw out my my best guess and then see what you think. My guess is they'll probably go something like Stefan Crichton, uh, Tyler Clippard, and Joaquin Soria. I'm guessing those are kind of your your three guys that you would slot into those roles. Um, Soria is my best guess for closer. Uh, we know the Diamondbacks tend to be. Uh, Maybe a little hesitant to uh, to firmly name a closer, at least certainly not this early in spring. That will probably come further down the road or maybe they'll even go by committee. But I'm guessing, Jeff, those are sort of your three higher leverage guys. Is that those the names you would peg as well?
1: I think for the time being, there's there's no reason to do anything different than what you just named. That's probably exactly how they'll play it. Um, I think Crichton is is someone that we know can get some high leverage outs, and so you can sort of deploy him. You know, if, if the top of the order is coming up, like you can deploy him, like he can try to get you through the heart of the heart of the order in the seventh. Um, but also, if you're picking it up at like the you know, the sixth batter in the lineup, like he can close out the back end, you know, very easily. So, yeah, uh, I, I think there's. I don't see any way. I don't see any real way to like mix and match these guys based on um, anything specific. There isn't one guy that you'd want to say, well, I mean, Soria's is maybe the closer, but at the same time, you want to save him for when the best batters are up. Like, I think they're,
0: yeah, these three,
1: they're fairly <laughs> duplicative, right? Like, yeah, yeah. You just kind of roll them out, let everybody know sort of where they belong and just say, look, like you're going to get the seventh or the eighth, you're going to get the seventh or the eighth and you're going to get the ninth. And we're just going to let it ride.
0: Yeah, I guess they're all three of them, of course, are, are right handed pitchers. So, you yeah. you know, there's there's a bit of a question there in the post Andrew Chafin um, world here for the Diamondbacks. Uh, Alex Young certainly figures to make uh, the opening day roster as a lefty. Um, uh, other guys who I didn't mention before, probably Kevin Ginkle. Uh, you feel might have a, a decent shot to make it. But there, there's certainly some, you know, some some openings here. I know one guy that that uh, we've been talking about a lot lately, Jeff, is uh, J.B. Bukowskis, who, of course, came over in the Zach Granke trade from Houston. Uh, he got roughed up a, a little bit in, in the minor leagues Uh, back in uh, 2019 obviously last year there was not much of any minor league action there was no minor league action at all Um, so a bit bit of a lost season although he was still getting reps um, uh, in uh, you know uh, playing uh, of course just against his own teammates um, down in Arizona so um, he's a guy Jeff that we feel pretty excited about moving forward potentially and if I had to peg you know one name who might be able to overtake a Soria, Clippert, or Crichton in one of those back-end roles, Bukowskis is probably the first name that comes to mind.
1: He's exactly why I said for now. <laughs> for now, <laughs> these are the three guys that I would go with. Um, yeah, I think potentially moving forward, there's a chance that that, that changes. Um, and, and the Diamondbacks have always been pretty slow uh, to really like allocate saves towards younger players. Um, I think part of that is due to not wanting to, you know, uh, the more saves they sort of acquire, by the time you get to arbitration, you end up paying for those. Um, So I think that's part of it. I think they also just fundamentally probably organizationally prefer a, a more mature, approach late in games, yeah. um, which, you know, has some merit, right? Like that's sure. not, that's not for nothing. Um, but yes, I agree with you. I think, I think that's probably the one guy who can maybe come in and really like mix it up and, and sort of change the outlook. Um, you know, that, that's a, that there's potential there for, for that to be kind of a big deal. Um, so he's probably the ace in the hole. I think if you're really looking at it, you know, that's, that's probably the one guy that could come in and really make a big, big, uh, a big change um you know a guy that that threw um on the same day as uh, last Thursday same day as uh as Bumgarner was John Deplantier who came out and threw a few innings um yeah. looked looked free and easy like looked good didn't look like anything was bothering him um you know wasn't super sharp but wasn't terrible by any means either um you know so he's maybe a guy that could give them a little bit of a boost but I don't see him as being sort of like a back end guy probably he's probably more of uh, yeah a piggyback type that, that maybe helps, you know, get another guy out of the game sooner, a starter out of the game sooner. Um, and, and similar with maybe a guy like Humberto Mejia, I mean, his service time clock has already started. Yeah. Uh, and there's some that feel that he's better suited for a relief role anyways. So maybe the team makes the call and it's just, you know, by mid season is like, Hey, you're just going to be a, just going to be a reliever and we're going to move forward with that for now. So there are some young sort of guys that I think were, were pegged as starting pitchers to begin with who could end up being a bit of a shot in the arm for the bullpen. Um, but otherwise yeah, it's a, sort of a who's who of random names uh, like lurking <laughs> lurking in the in the depth.
0: Yeah, Bubkowskis that's the that's the name that uh, that we've been talking about a lot lately. Uh, he's had. Uh, I think he's thrown just a couple of innings in spring so far, but for what it's worth, he hasn't allowed a hit or a run in his four strikeouts. So we're uh, we're a little excited about that mm-hmm. over here. Um, beyond beyond that, that's the sort of the bullpen outlook. I think there's going to be you know like normal, especially with this Diamondbacks team that has not really ever had a long term commitment to any particular relief pitcher. Uh, I guess Andrew Chafin is really the the one guy that comes to mind who actually spent quite a bit of time here. Um, but beyond that, you know, expect it to sort of be a revolving door, uh, you know, next man up. There's not a whole lot of guys in here who I would say have a firm guaranteed job in this bullpen. So it really is going to be based on results and, and sort of how things play out. Uh, we got a question from, uh, from Sean Rambran on Twitter. Uh, what's your ideal starting rotation based on the limited amount of spring training we've seen? Um, Jeff, I don't know if I would even say the limited amount of spring training I've seen is really what I'm gonna base my answer on. I I don't know. I don't know if there's a a whole lot to gain from you know the one or two innings we've seen from each of these guys so far. But I think the rotation has sort of been set from the beginning. I think we probably touched on this in our last show as well. I think you're talking Gallon Bumgarner in some order. Of course, everyone's excited to see, you know, does Zach Gallon get the ball on opening day? It was interesting he got the ball. Um, for their first spring training game, for what it's worth. Doesn't really mean anything necessarily. Um, and then backing him up, it's some combination of Luke Weaver, Merrill Kelly, and Caleb Smith. Uh, and I think that's barring injury. That's just sort of, you know, what it's going to be. Uh, it was good seeing Merrill Kelly pitch. That is uh, one one guy whose spring outing I will talk about quickly. Uh, he gave up a home run, but he had five strikeouts. Uh, velocity was up for Merrill Kelly, which was really good to see um he's a guy you know coming off of thoracic outlet surgery that is not a minor procedure um and and historically it's been a procedure that pitchers have really struggled to come back from um so really good seeing Merrill Kelly even though he gave up the home run he recovered quickly struck out 5 his stuff seemed good uh Caleb Smith I think is just sort of there um I think he's got a you know a really good shot to make the roster I think he's got a really good shot to be in that rotation Uh, we'll sort of see how he turns out to be is, uh, the, the resident left-handed pitcher along with Madison Bumgarner. Um, and then there's Luke Weaver, Jeff and, and Luke Weaver, I think, you know, we all hope and pray that, uh, that Luke Weaver is able to, to figure some things out this year following what was really a pretty tough season for him last year.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I think those five are the five. I, I don't think there's anything that will change that unless there's, there's an injury at play. Um, that's probably it. Probably is what it is. I think Luke Weaver, uh, for better or worse, has, has become our new Robbie Ray. Uh, he's become the guy that we <laughs> we needed.
0: Of, we needed at least one Robbie Ray type just to yeah. keep us on our toes, right? <laughs> that,
1: every team does, you know. You need that one guy that you can just sort of pin your hopes and dreams on. Um, and so, yeah, I think he's the guy that you look at and just say, you know, I, I don't know with Caleb Smith. I don't know him well enough um, to really to really feel any certain way about it. I mean, I just feel like Caleb Smith is kind of a, a number four starter at this point. Um, yeah. but I think Luke Weaver has more ceiling than that. And so he's the guy that we're going to hope, you know, continues to turn the corner, uh, and really, and really figure things out. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, there were, uh, there was an article that I believe, uh, Zach Buchanan put up at the athletic, uh, talking to him about his off season and him tinkering with pitches and yeah. sort of turning his cutter into slider more and a couple of things. And it was, I just, it just struck me uh, a little bit and, and maybe I'm going off script here a bit, but it, it surprised me that he, for what felt like the second offseason in a row was at home sort of tinkering with his repertoire and in messing with his pitches and trying to like figure out the best way to deploy them, and and mm-hmm. like that's his job, right? Like we all have jobs. We should spend some time thinking about how we can be better at our jobs. Yeah, uh, that doesn't surprise me. What surprises me is that how is how is so much invested in Luke Weaver and so much writing on Luke Weaver, and I read no mention of him like taking two weeks at Driveline or being put in a development lab where he or being issued a you know, being issued like a Rapsodo device or something where he was at home. And like, you know, I, we think about the way pitches are developed now. I mean, they really are almost developed in a laboratory anymore. Yeah. Um, mm. and here he is at home. Like, I mean, <laughs> I, again, I may not have the, the full context, but it, it felt a lot like he was at home, like in his backyard, sort of messing with his grips and like, you know, throwing into a net. So, mm. um, I don't know. I just I don't know what to make of that. Uh, it just feels like there has been so much left on the table when it comes to Luke Weaver, and we still haven't seen the best of him. And so, uh, you know, it's not to say that what he did won't work. Maybe it does work. Uh, maybe it's helpful. So, mm-hmm. I keep my fingers crossed. But there is a ton writing on that guy.
0: It's like dissecting cow eyeballs on the kitchen table or something yeah, like that <laughs> with a steak knife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's very, uh, yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, we have a, a few other, a few other interesting questions here. Kyle Collins asked a similar one about, um, about, uh, projections for rotation, which we've covered. He also said, um, who are the young names to watch that might sneak in there this season? I think we've probably mentioned, uh, most of those names uh, Corbin Martin is another one that I guess we haven't mentioned that we should uh, Corbin Martin I think there's uh, a whole lot of potential there another guy came over in the Granky trade um, uh, coming back from Tommy John surgery right when they acquired him so didn't pitch at all in 2019 and then last year we expected to see him at some point but unfortunately uh, he had some uh, some other hiccups in his return uh, from injury and we didn't get to see him last year but Hopefully, Jeff, this is the year uh, that I'm, I'm excited to see what, uh, what Corbin Martin has to offer. Um, he's, uh, by all means, by all accounts, what we've heard is that the Diamondbacks really wanted to acquire Corbin Martin for quite some time. The Granky trade finally opened the door for them to do that, and he's sort of a guy that you hear a lot of different opinions on. Um, but everyone seems to think he's a he's a totally viable major league uh, major league starting pitcher, uh, at least as long as the injury concerns work themselves out. Um, but I've seen people say he could be an ace. I've seen he could be, you know, a number three, number four starter type. Uh, what are we expecting to see from Corbin Martin, Jeff? And I'm curious if you have any other any other names to throw out there that could peek into the starting rotation, uh, if you have any of those as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think when it comes to Corbin Martin, I think the the thought process, or or at least, you know, sort of where our hopes are, is that, you know, he is sort of more of the 2 3 type of of starting pitcher. Um, I think you see what Zach Gallon is. I think you can pretty safely call that a one. Um, There aren't a lot of those in baseball. So hoping for another one of those seems like asking too much. Uh, if you stumble into it, great, but uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bet on it, but I think Taylor Clark, or I'm sorry, excuse me, Corbin Martin has a chance to, uh, you know, to be, you know, maybe just a notch below that. And so th- there's a chance there that if, if it all comes back together, he's, he's kind of a, a two, three type of, of starter, um, you know, a guy that's well above uh major league average uh, and, and really can become like kind of an anchor for the rotation. So, um, yeah, he's not, he's not that young anymore. I mean, he's 25 now. Uh, and so it's time for him to sort of put his foot on the gas. Um, as it, as we think about some, some other, um, prospects who may come up, um, I'm not going to, I don't have a ton for the rotation. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they manage that given our previous conversation around, um, probably needing some more arms like yeah. later in the season. So there are some considerations there, but there are some, some guys who I think that are off the 40-man roster right now. And if the team really wanted to get aggressive, which I'm not sure they will, but if they wanted to, some guys that I think could make, uh, that are prospects that could make sort of more like bullpen type impacts. Um, there are a handful of guys that they have drafted as starting pitchers who've had maybe kind of a rough go uh,
0: yeah.
1: in that starting role, but have really, really big stuff. Um, Ryan Nelson is one of those guys who has big time stuff. Mm. Um, Connor Grahams we've heard is, you know, can touch triple digits. Um, Dre Jamison was a, a, 2019 draft pick, uh, and probably stays as a starter. But if you wanted to call him up later in the season as a reliever, he has stuff that, that plays. We've seen Levi Kelly's stuff play, um, yeah. pretty excitingly. Uh, And even a guy like, maybe like Matt Mercer, um, someone where you just say, hey, we're going to have you throw your two best pitches and scrap everything else and just go out and throw hard. There (laughs) are some guys here, um, they're not going to show up on a lot of the top prospect lists. They're kind of buried. But if you were looking for big stuff that might play in the majors sooner than later, uh, those are some sort of on the edge guys that uh, Mm. you'd have to make 40 man roster space for But I think in the right scenario, you know, come the end of August into September, uh, those are some guys that could, could give maybe a very interesting look to the bullpen in more of a, uh, you know, more of limited, uh, limited outings, but uh, throwing hard and bringing kind of an element that, that isn't currently present.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's good. Um, uh, we have another question from uh, from Patrick on Twitter. Uh, he asked us uh, possible replacements for Cole Calhoun, uh, which we discussed earlier. He also asked, do you think Dalton Varsho makes the roster? Um, and says he's one of the best uh, prospects in all of baseball in his opinion, which uh, we of course would agree with. Um, yeah, yeah, what' um, Dalton Varsho, obviously last year first season sort of uh, sort of just thrown in in a really, really bizarre year. Uh, yeah. for everyone, and, uh, you know, he showed flashes here and there. Uh, I wouldn't say it was, uh, you know, a failure of a season by any means. Uh, a lot of guys, you know, especially, you know, people like Varsho who are, you know, have big expectations on them but are also really, really young. It can take, you know, a year or two uh, to kind of adapt to, uh, to major league pitching uh, and whatnot. He was also sort of thrust into... Um, a position he wasn't super familiar with, played a lot of center field. Um, so I think there was quite a bit going through Dalton Varsho's mind last year to say the least. I don't know if we can really uh, hold these uh, hold these results to him too hard. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I would say, at least in my opinion, Jeff, I, I would be pretty surprised if Dalton Varsho didn't make the opening day roster just given uh, his track record, the fact that he is, you know a pretty big time prospect here. And I don't think he really has a whole lot else to learn at the minor league levels. He seems to have sort of uh, checked all those boxes and is ready to to try to just get some more reps here at the major league level and uh, hopefully can figure some things out sooner than later.
1: I think the injury to Cole Calhoun really opened that door. Uh, yeah. If if it weren't for that, I'd say it might be a little fringy. Uh, hmm. but given that Calhoun will probably miss some time, I think Varsho is probably the biggest beneficiary of that. Um, and so he probably makes the most sense. Uh, he is, he's really talented. He's really versatile. Even last year when he struggled, he has, he had consistently really solid at bats. Yeah. Um, there were times that he stung the ball and just hit it right at somebody. Um, totally. So it doesn't show up, but I think that he's a significantly uh, a significantly better player than his his stat line would have showed last season. So, uh, I think he's he's the beneficiary there. I think one one thing that's interesting with Varsho is have we just thrown have we just like ruled out that he's not a catcher anymore? Like, yeah, is that decided? Because if there is a reason to send him down, and maybe he's a guy that goes when Calhoun comes back. Do they plug him in back behind the plate more often, or does he go to Reno and just start in center field every day? Um, mm. Be very interested to see, even when he's not in the majors, where he logs his innings because uh, it seems a bit like the towel has been thrown in on this idea of him of him catching with any sort of regularity. Of course, yeah. having Carson Kelly as a young as a young catcher who's quite good uh, at catching, you know gives them the opportunity to, to deploy Varsho elsewhere. Um, Stephen Vogt vote is obviously still around. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I'll be very, very compelled to see how much does Dalton Varsho catch? Like, mm. and even through the spring, does he just not catch at all? Because if he just doesn't catch at all, I, I basically would at that point, just think of him as sort of your like emergency catcher.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's super interesting. Um, we are we are rolling in uh, in questions from listeners. Uh, thank you uh, to all of you for uh, for submitting them. Hopefully, we can Absolutely. get to everyone's here real quick. Um, uh, let's see what else we got. So uh, Matthew asks a bigger picture a bigger picture question, excuse me. Uh, what are realistic expectations for this year? We know Cattell Marte is good, but do you think he'll return to MVP caliber and be in the running every year like Goldie was when he was in Arizona? It's a really good question, Matthew. I think we're all uh, kind of curious as well to see how things turn out with Cattell. Um I'm I'm more inclined, Jeff, to think of Cattell as closer to the perennial all-star than to the just sort of nice utility player, covers a lot of positions, you know, might stumble into a 30-homer season from time to time. I think Cattell Marte is a really, really good baseball player. And I know last year was not the season that we hoped for from him. Uh, It was – I remember he had a monstrous uh, spring training. Uh, He was totally raking in the intra squad games – um, but of course, you know, those don't necessarily mean a whole lot. Um, but the season started and, and Cattell took a little bit of a step back. Uh, his final numbers look pretty decent, uh, but the power seemed to be, um, uh, pretty absent for him over the course of the season. So yeah, Jeff, I, I don't know if Cattell Marte is going to hit 32 home runs, uh, necessarily every year as he did in 2019, but I do generally view him as being like I would be semi-surprised if Cattell Marte was not an all-star. I think I think I'm somewhat on that level. Jeff, uh, am I am I totally off base here?
1: No, I take that bet too. I mean, if someone asks who who's the all-star on this team, you know, you have two choices: it's it's Zach Gallon or you know, and or Kattel Marte. Um, sure, I just. There are things that he does and you and I have talked, you know, offline about this in the past of just hit. He has certain abilities that, that some of the guys around him, you know, uh, may just not possess or can't tap into as easily. Um, on Thursday he hit a double down the line that he just scorched and the exit below was like almost 114 miles an hour.
0: Oh my God. I mean,
1: (laughs) not very many guys hit baseballs that hard and he, can do it from both sides of the plate. He's cleaned up a bit of his um, splits between, you know, or at least sort of his swings between left and right side. Um, yeah. He just has, he can really step into him. And when you, I, I think one of the fun things when watching Cattell Marte hit is to just in a vacuum, just to really focus on him as an individual and almost, you know, disregard the pitch and just look at how hard he swings the bat. And it's like, Amazing. I mean, not, not everyone can generate that kind of bat speed and maintain Mm. some semblance of bat control. Like the, the actual skills themselves are quite unique and quite impressive from him. So, uh, I am, I am of the belief that I think he is a, an MVP, uh, candidate, maybe, you know, sometime down the line again. I I don't know that that was a complete and total anomaly, but in the meantime, he's probably a pretty regular all-star Um, and a guy who's just, you know, because he plays in Arizona, like Goldie did, he probably won't quite get the love that he deserves. Um, but he is a, he's an exquisite baseball player.
0: Yeah. Not to mention the contract that he's on is absurdly team friendly. Yes, it is. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And, and on that, on that note, I want to also touch on matthew's question you know what are realistic expectations for this year think a little bit big picture for a moment we all know what the dodgers and the padres have been up to right the the diamondbacks let's face it frankly baseball is a crazy sport i'm not going to rule anything out you know it's possible that somehow the diamondbacks turn out to be better than than both of the top two ranked teams in all of baseball and a lot of the power rankings that i've seen um I don't think that's likely, though. I think you're probably looking at a at a wild card, um, hopefully a valiant wild card effort that keeps the Diamondbacks in the mix, that keeps them relevant. Uh, I think if you get some bounce back seasons from, you know, Eduardo Escobar and Carson Kelly um, and, and, you know, guys stay healthy, if Cattell Marte turns back into hopefully this more perennial all star type that we've been talking about, I think this team could be could be pretty good. Yeah, you know, I I, last year we had, of course, much larger expectations when Starling Marte was here. Um, But frankly, the roster this year, Jeff, is not that different. You know, if you expected the team last year to, you know, we really put a playoff expectation on them. Uh, We really thought that that's really where they belonged. And I don't know if I mean, Starling Marte is a great player, you know, not, not, not to take anything away from him. You know, Archie Bradley's not here anymore. There's certainly a loss there. I, I don't think in any way are we expecting them to necessarily make the playoffs, but I also think a lot of people are sort of thinking of the Diamondbacks as, you know, a 75-win team in 2021, which certainly could happen. You know, if, if some of these things don't go their way, if some of those guys that we're hoping will bounce back just can't figure things out. The, the starting rotation depth is a little bit fringy. If you had, if you got into injury issues, you'd have some trouble. Yeah. But I, I think I don't think it's out of the question, Jeff, that this team could stay in the mix. Uh, could you know if things turn their way, they could win a wild card game, and you know who knows what what could happen from there. So uh, it's not an expectation. I don't think I'm expecting them to necessarily be in the playoffs. But if some things turn their way, uh, I don't think it's unrealistic. To you know, think of the Diamondbacks as a team that'll hang around, that'll be relevant, that will bother the Padres and the Dodgers at the very least. And you know, who knows what could happen from there?
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you there. I, I think, I think we obviously did not see the best of them a season ago. I think we know that there's more talent than what showed up, um, and some things just went sideways. And so. Um, once again, I think that Mike Hazen has built, you know, what could be construed as kind of a high variance, a high variance roster. Where if things break right, you're looking at a team that could like really, really threaten for a wild card spot. Yeah. And if things go poorly, they're selling by the middle of July. And so, <laughs> you know, I, I have a hard time. In, and almost the worst thing that can happen is that they are like between those two outcomes. Like you'd almost prefer that it's like one or the other. Yeah. Either start retooling for the run a couple of years down the line or, you know, let's, let's go for it. But uh, sort of the middle is, is really a a bad, a bad spot to be. Uh, But I think, I think they, they can stay in the mix. I think there's enough talent there to stay in the mix, Uh, but they really are going to need, you know, they're gonna need the Escobars to show up. They're gonna need consistent production from Peralta. Catal-Marte is going to have to be a no-doubt all-star. Um, the rotation is gonna to have to to perform as we know it can, but it really can't let up. Um, they're gonna need some. They're gonna need some uh, some breakouts along the way as well. And I, I think it's a pretty narrow a pretty narrow uh, you know avenue to to get to a, to a wild card spot, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Hmm. Um, I think it's something that, that can be achieved, and let's not forget, um, like the whole NL Central just like sat on its hands all winter. I mean, <laughs> there's not a ton to really be terribly afraid of there. Like most of those teams are not wildly better than the Diamondbacks. Yeah, um, true. And the NL East is, is a pretty good... A pretty strong division, but maybe it beats up on itself, and, and injuries happen in places. You know what happens when, when some of those guys go down. So um, I think there's, I think there's a path for it. I just, I don't see it as the most likely outcome, but I think there's a path for it. And you're right, they're going to be staring up at uh, the Dodgers and the Padres the whole season, and that's just the way it's going to be for the for the next little while. But um, you know, this is a team where if they don't make the playoffs but still finish 500, to me, I would feel like that was a fairly successful season would you yeah. would you feel the same
0: yeah i think so i don't want to i don't want to admit it <laughs> i don't want <laughs> to want to acknowledge that 500 is is good and successful but yeah i i think uh, frankly that's that's around where they probably belong and you know the the good news is that this is not a long term rebuild right. that i think we foresee happening here you've got a top 5, maybe top 10 somewhere in that range farm system, a lot of exciting young players sort of in the mix here. This is not the moment where the Diamondbacks recognize what the Dodgers and Padres are up to, which granted is sustainable. The Padres did not just push the chips in for one or two seasons. Nope. <laughs> you know, they they have a long a long standing team that will contend, I think. But but this is but from the Diamondbacks perspective, it makes no sense for them to sit on their hands and wait five or six years before trying to push the chips in because you've got Catel Marte here on the aforementioned absurdly team friendly contract. You've got Zach Gallen here on an absurdly team friendly contract. And you've got a really good farm system with some of these guys knocking on the door in the next two to three years. It doesn't make sense for the Diamondbacks to wait five or six years from now. So I think Mike Hazen knows that. I think he's a smart guy. I think he wants to win. I don't think a rebuild is the plan here. But, you know, sometimes you have to go through a few seasons of maybe the Diamondbacks will be spared of, you know, having a a season where they lose 90 or 95 games, hopefully. Um, But sometimes you have to go through a couple years of, you know, just kind of being okay before you can, you know, really push the chips in and get back in the mix.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that's where they're at. I think they're gonna continue to sort of, you know, sift through the pieces. I think they'll continue to use like this year and the next few years to really find out who's for real and, yeah. and sort of where they are going to need to make investments. You know, is is uh is there more for Caleb Smith or does he just kind of, you know, finish his service time out, you know, while he's under team control and, and then go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Or is that someone that, that turns a corner you work with and you're like, Hey, we, we actually, we want to extend this guy. Um, yeah, I think similar could be said for, for maybe Luke Weaver. Um, you know, I, there's a whole bunch of guys. I think they can kind of sort through it. And I'm thinking not just this season, but in the next year or two um, guys that will come up and, and they'll have a chance to sort of evaluate and see, Who really is going to be a core piece of the team? Yeah, you know, two, three, four years from now, um, because I think that's kind of what they're building towards, Um, Mm. and that's what they need to sort of build towards. They're they're just you were absolutely right. The Dodgers have a developmental pipeline and enough good young players that they're not going to disappear. The Padres did not make a one year splash, as you said. You're absolutely right about that. It's going to take. Time to, to build a an actual like like a real real in depth uh, you know well balanced baseball team to contend with those guys. So uh, uh, I think that's the path that they're on, and there'll be time to spend money, but now is probably not quite it. I think they'll continue just kind of sorting through what they have and trying to improve and get better every day and and um, you know build build for the future, but you know certainly not throw the towel in on the short term, which as someone who sits down and watches a lot of, of Diamondbacks games, I can appreciate because man it would be really hard to watch them if they were just like only <laughs> trying to win like 60 games a year.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That it that's one thing you have to say about this Diamondbacks franchise. It is you, you I feel like I feel like there are a lot of teams in baseball who have just full on without saying it, but full on just sort of made it abundantly clear that they were not really trying to win games for at least a span of two or three years. And that really hasn't happened here. There have been seasons where, in reality, it turned out that they really were not going to be winning any games. Yes. But, but it was never the plan from the beginning. We, we've really never, in the history of the Rattle podcast, we have never had, you know, an opening day that we weren't at least curious about. You know? Yeah. Like, hey, you you don't really know what could happen. Baseball is a weird sport and, and sometimes crazy things happen and, you know, your team can, can, you know, win five or 10 games more than you expect them to. And that's enough to, to kind of make a push uh, and make things interesting. So uh, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see how things play out. Um, well, we've got to get going. We're up over an hour, which it's amazing, Jeff. I, I swear we talk about how there hasn't been much that's happened. And then and then we easily fill an hour of productive <laughs> Diamondbacks talk. It's incredible. Uh, we appreciate all of you for uh, for sticking around with what's been a longer episode for us here. Uh, want to acknowledge uh, Desert Dog six nine six nine and Manny G also on Twitter who asked us a couple of questions about prospects, which I think we touched on. Um, uh, there's certainly a lot of guys uh, that are you know sort of a neck in a next man up sort of position, uh, and it'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know whether some of those names that you mentioned earlier Jeff can uh, can flourish this yeah. year. Um but yeah we're gonna go ahead and uh wrap episode 25 up there. Once again thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate you sticking with us here. Uh as always you can find us on Twitter at the rattle az um, you can find Jeff at, at outfieldgrass24 or myself at at Jesse and Friedman. We'd love to interact with you over there as well. Uh over on our website you should check that out as well the rattle.net. um Our colleague Joshua Inman has been a rock star over these last couple months and has written a lot of really great stuff, Um, so be sure to check that out. At some point, we're going to have to coax Joshua into joining us on the podcast see if we can make that happen at some point. Um, But yeah, he is a a brilliant young baseball mind. You won't want to miss his stuff over on our website at therattle.net. But with that said, uh, for Jeff Weiser, my name is Jesse Friedman. Thanks so much for listening here to The Rattle Podcast. And we'll be back again soon to talk more about this 2021 season.